All right, well, I want to do, some, let's say, a 30-second intro, all right, for those maybe were here last week or you listened to the message on the, on the podcast or whatever. But last week, we were talking out of um, Hebrews chapter 12, the, the, the passage of Scripture that's referencing even the book of Genesis, the brothers, the twins, the not stepbrothers, but they acted like it. They were twins, Jacob and Esau, and how we've actually come to Mount Zion that this religion isn't, isn't, a, isn't something of simple rituals or theories or you know genealogies of history, but it's actually something that's very present in the here and now. We've actually come to Mount Zion, to the reality of an innumerable number of angels, to, to the firstborn of many brethren. Like We've come into something that's so profound and real that we're called to walk in such a way that is actually different than the rest of the world. And in Hebrews 12 there, it was actually talking about don't be like Esau, right? And so we're going back in the book of Genesis um, and and actually looking at the the story of Jacob and Esau. I think we started somewhere, um, Genesis 25, 26, 27. And we we went through those, those, those three books of the way, basically, Jacob was the, in parentheses, the younger brother, right? He was the he was he was out he was out of the womb a second later, holding on to his brother's ankle. Uh, looks like a tie to me still, but he comes out, and um, so Esau was considered the firstborn. But how that Esau sold his birthright because of his carnal cravings. He was hungry, wanted some food. Jacob stole it for Jacob. I said stole it. That's what people think. But he sold. He he he, he purchased the birthright for that red bean stew, hence the name Edom was coined, the nickname for uh, Esau, right? So then we went on through Genesis 26 and 27 to a story that's even more sketchy, how Jacob dressed up in hair, in hair and actually tricked his blind dad to give him the, the blessing of the Lord over the firstborn son. I think we all agreed last week and can still at this day uh, agree that that's kind of a shady way of going about things, but there's but but the scripture doesn't tell us to not be like Jacob. It tells us to not be like Esau, the one who des- despised his birthright in the first place. So there's something there for us to see. But we did we we went into that last week, and so I think I violated my 30 seconds for the for the the back half. I just don't want to lose anybody. But tonight I want to continue on, or today. Sorry, I'm used to Friday nights saying that. But I want to continue on to the life of Jacob, who becomes the namesake of the nation, the people of Israel. His father was Isaac, whose father was Abraham, who received the blessing of God, that this this covenant promise from God that in his lineage, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Uh, A pretty tall order, um, but something beautiful that Jacob obviously really valued and his brother did not so we'll pick up last from uh, last week how you know like i said jacob dressed up put on some hair on his arms made himself smell a certain way tricked his poor blind dad not poor he's quite wealthy but he 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 tricked his blind dad into blessing him with the blessing of the firstborn son but we pick up in genesis 28 as jacob had to get out of town pretty quickly because his brother 
found out that he had stolen this time the blessing of Abraham, their grandfather, the blessing of God on the earth, and uh, was ready to come and, and kill his brother over this uh, transgression. So we pick up in Genesis 28. Basically, Jacob has to get out of town. Jacob, whose name means trickster, supplanter, deceiver, all these different things, and rightfully so. He, he lived up to that, it seemed. Um, he has to get out of town, and his parents basically send him off to start his life. And start your life, go and you know, find a wife, not from the wrong tribes that were mixed. Genealogy is often from the Nephilim and all this stuff. But, but actually go into the, into the region where you're actually going to marry somebody that's of, the, of a pure race, you know, of the pure human DNA, of your family's DNA, literally. And so he goes out, and we get to the story of Genesis 28, which is Jacob's ladder. So Jacob is, is initially stepping out on his own, following the Lord, following God, which is really running from his brother. He didn't know he was following God. And it says he, he, he goes to a certain place, which we know is the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. And it says that he comes to a certain place in Genesis 28, 11, and he stays there all night and he takes one of the stones of that place and put it under his head and he laid down in that place to go to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached into heaven, and there was angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, his grandfather, really, whom, who, who had received this covenant promise, and the God of Isaac, your dad, and on the land which you lie, I will give you and to your descendants. It shall also be... Um, that your descendants shall become as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and to the south. And verse 15 is something very important. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done all that I have spoken to you. So this is a beautiful promise that God gives him. You're going to step into now, even though you've been kind of sketchy, you're going to step into the covenant promise that I made to your father and to your grandfather. And I'm actually going to be with you everywhere you go. I'm going to bring you back to this land of promise that's, that's called to be your inheritance. And I'm going to fulfill everything that I've spoken of you. Behold, I'm going to be with you. And that's something that's very important for us today. Um, but it says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said something, which I think will be a theme for us today, which is something also for us as Christians to really understand. But he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. It's a portal of heaven. And um, he called the place Bethel, Bethel, you know, and um, the house of God. And he set up a pillar there. And then he continued about his journey. Now, this is something that's really important because I think I've, you know, we've covered it within the past, I don't know if it's been three months or so, but this is something, you know, when Jesus first appeared to some of his disciples, right, in the book of John chapter one, and, and he comes to his disciples and, oh, oh. yeah, he comes to, there's just one today, okay. All right, we're doing good. Um, and he comes to this, this story where he meets these two specific guys of his disciples. And um, 
One was named Philip and his buddy Nathaniel. And so Philip is so, he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and he's so fired up like, I, I believe this is the one. And he goes and he tells Nathaniel like, hey, you need to come and see because this guy, we found the one whom the scriptures prophesy. And Nathaniel says something about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, he comes and he tells his buddy like, hey, you've got to come meet this guy. I'm, I'm sure it's the Messiah. Where's he from Nazareth? Like, really though? Nothing good comes out of there. And he's like, just come and see, which is another lyric of the first song that they wrote, which I think is beautiful. Come and see for yourself, which is our job. So anyhow, you know, as soon as Jesus sees Nathanael coming before him, he, 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 he speaks to him, behold, an Israelite indeed whom, whom, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's like, how do you know me? To which Jesus replies, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Then Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. So he's so impressed that, that, the, that Jesus knew that he was sitting under some fig tree. I don't know what the dialogue was happening. I don't know if he was praying there. We, we have no clue. We don't, we don't give any insight there. But instantly he confesses him as the Messiah. You must be the anointed one of God. But Jesus says something very interesting concerning our study today. He said, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And here's this, here's this reference to Jesus making to the Old Testament, to that story that all of these guys knew. They were raised with this stuff. Israel, this man named Jacob, who becomes the namesake of their nation, it is his story, which it is their story, who goes and he finds this place where he lays down on a rock that he ends up naming Bethel, and he has a dream where heaven is open, just like Jesus is saying. There's a portal of heaven open, and then there's a ladder, or some type of stairway, actually. And he sees God standing above it, proclaiming the promises of Abraham, the, the covenant promise that he made to his grandfather over his life, that you're going to be my people, and through your lineage, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And so now you, now you have this New Testament uh, verse here, that's literally talking about, listen, um, you, you've actually come to that story, but the fulfillment of that story. The place in which you, you are seeing, the person you're seeing, me, Jesus, is not only just the Messiah, but he is the go-between, he is the gateway of heaven. And he's also the very ladder or the stairway. He says, you will see the angels ascend and descend, only this time he takes the, the, the ladder phrase out of there, and he puts himself in there upon the Son of Man, upon the human who walks around, God in the flesh, the embodiment of Yahweh. And so this is something very profound to see because we have these scriptures, right? We have like Romans 15, Acts 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 that, that literally talk about how these things were actually written for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. Like all these stories of the Old Testament are written for us to see as Christians that we can apply them to their life but not with an old covenant mentality, with the mentality of the new covenant, the reality of who Jesus is, and the ones who are the, the inheritors of our Father's kingdom. Amen. And so here's Jesus literally saying, you think a word of knowledge that I knew where you were when you were called is, is important, you're going to see something that is so much more important. Amen. And he's literally forecasting what Christianity is going to be. And he's using this story to a bunch of Jewish guys that fully understood it. You know, have you ever been around like some people that are like really into like Star Wars or something like that, you know, and they always use the little sayings or quotes, you know, they all know what's going on. That's how these guys were, 
right? But even more than that, this is their nation, national history and their spiritual history as the chosen people of God, you know, to bring forth the promised seed, which was Jesus, you know, and, he, and he, here he is forecasting that. So Jacob, being highly impressed, but not fully certain, you know, he, he literally basically pledges himself to God. You know, he, he, he creates this place. He calls it Bethel. He, he basically tells God, if you, if you do this, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I make, if, if it pans out, basically. And Jacob goes on his way. Now, there's some more stories of Jacob's life that I'm going to skip because I really want to be in, in, in um, Genesis 32 today because I think that's what's important for us. Um, but Jacob goes on along his journey and he still manifests some of his ways, some of his old ways. You know, he goes, he finds a woman that he really likes. He basically he works a deal to work for seven years in order to marry her. But then her dad, his uncle, you know, you know, sneaks in the other daughter on accident. Anybody read these stories? You know, if you, you know, it's it's quite interesting if you want to read that for yourself. As you get to Genesis 29 and. Um, I think it's probably important for some people. I just don't feel like it's the word of the Lord for us today, but I felt like some real highlights on it while I was reading it, to be honest. So, um, you know, not for this house for today, but maybe if you listen to these on the podcast, it'd be very valuable for you. Because it literally talks about how he was actually serving under somebody who was actually controlling him and keeping him capped, right? And, and kind of being dealing uh, deceitfully with him. And how he continued to work until he got the, the wife of his dreams, so, you know, so to speak, this, you know, the, the, the younger sister. And, and then even as he was working and asking for his wages to be made right for him, you know, all kinds of things would happen. So then he, he wants to leave and he makes a deal with this man who's basically his uncle about all these speckled sheep and spotted sheep. And, and God just really blesses Jacob while he's there. But with the encouragement of like, you don't actually have to stay there under this controlling situation. It's time for you to go. My blessing is on you, not your schemes and tricks. Because, I mean, if you read that story, Jacob was like, the way he got the lambs and the, and the goats to, to reproduce, he did like, it was almost like magic tricks. He would cut little holes in sticks and stuff and stick it in front of them. It's kind of funny, but that's just not where we're at today. You can tell I want to go there a little bit myself, but I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like it's for us. But... Um, anyhow, God literally comes to him and says, hey, listen, I'm the one who's blessed you here to cause you to thrive here. You know, it's not because you're un under your uncle and it's not because of these little tricks you're doing to, to, to get by. I'm the one who's blessing you. So why don't it, it's time for you to go back to where your father's from and actually step into your real inheritance. Anyhow, so there's that. But we come to uh, Genesis 32, which is where I want to be today. Um, that's a long intro, but it's where I wanted to be. And you got Jacob, who has these, these tricky character flaws, um, but he has a heart to inherit the things of the kingdom. A God who he's not fully all that sure about yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's following, but he's kind of skittish there as well. But he comes to this place in Genesis 32 as he's leaving his uncles, as he's finally going out on his own. He's obviously 15, over 15 years ago, he's run away from his brother who wanted to kill him, right? And it says, he goes upon his way, and the angels of God meet him. So here's the, second, here's the second story of Jacob, right? Where he's, he's experiencing the angelic host of the Lord. Like his, his life started to be wrapped up in supernatural things. Okay? And so he goes to this place on his way back home with 
thousands of livestock and camels and all these different things. He's got all kinds of sons and daughters. He's become really established, but he's never stepped into the, the full, fullness of the promised land to establish himself, what God's promised him. And he's met by angels. So in Genesis 31, I mean 32, 1 and 2, it says, He went on his way, the angels of God met him, and when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the, the place Mahanaim, um, which literally means angel camp or double camp. And um, so here's, here's Jacob at an angelic place. He's met by angels where he's setting up camp to camp to set up shop. And the hosts of God are there. He meets them. And that's all the Bible really says about it there. But he calls this place double camp. Almost like there's, a, there's an overlapping of dimensions here. Just like that place where on Bethel where he saw the portal of God and the angels ascending and descending. There's, there's something open there where things from that side of the tracks and this side of the tracks are actually co-existing at the same time. It sounds quite supernatural and profound. But in the very next verse... Um, Jacob's traveling to his dad's, but he's actually realizing his, his older brother, by one second, Esau, he's going to have to actually run into Esau on the way back home to pay homage to his dad because his dad's going to die soon. And Jacob is so afraid of his brother Esau because he knew he had a threat on him well over 15 years, years before that as soon as he gets to this place that he calls the double camp, he sends these messengers before him to his brother Esau and um, he actually, he's trying to soften the blow because he's about to meet him. And he says, I have oxen and I have donkeys. I have flocks and male and female servants um, that I've sent to my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. I'm sending you all this stuff basically as a, as a peace offering for Esau to accept me. He sent, he sent all his animals. He sent all these things over to him all these goats, all these camels as a peace offering so that like, hey, when we meet each other, you kind of know that I'm sorry about the whole red stew thing and dressing up to make myself real hairy like you in order to steal your birthright. And hopefully we can squash it. I can give you all this basic money and all this stuff that I've gained and hopefully we'll be cool. So the messengers come back when he sent this big peace offering to his brother Esau and they say something very interesting to him. Um, hey, we came to your brother Esau. We told him what you wanted to say. We gave him all the stuff. And he's coming to meet you with 400 men. So Jacob instantly is just like, well, what did he say? They're coming to, they're coming to meet me. They're coming, did they accept it? They're, yeah, he's going to come talk to you personally about it. So here's Jacob again getting hyper scared. He was already super scared. It says, so Jacob was, in, in, in Genesis 32, verse 7, greatly afraid and distressed. And look what he did. He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, the other company which is left will escape. And he said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the one he had just met in a dream, before he left his uncles. The one who had actually stood at Bethel above the ladder and, and proclaimed that he was going to be with them everywhere he went. He was going to cover him and protect him. He said, Oh God, you said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. 
I'm not worthy of the least of these mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant, for I've crossed this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will treat you well and make your descendants of the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered in multitude. So he lodged there that same night. And came, and came to his hand as a present for, for Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 100 ewes. So, he, so here he is, you know, packing up a bunch of other stuff to butter his, butter his brother up again. And so he, he delivers them to his brother and he says, cross over, you know, when he comes and he meets you, um, give him all these things. Pass over before me, before I meet my brother who's coming with 400 men, pass over. And he commands the first servant, when Esau, my brother, meets you, says, who, to whom do you belong? And who are these in front of you? You said, these are, these are your servant Jacob's. It's a present to my Lord Esau. And behold, also Esau, uh, he is behind us. So then he commanded the second and the third and all the who followed uh, droves likewise to do in the same manner. To do in the same manner. And he said, also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For, for he said, I, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps... He will accept me. That's another really interesting line that we're going to get into today. So the present went over before him, but he himself lodged overnight in the place that he was. So here you have Jacob. He's so scared of his brother. He's so scared to face him, even though God showed up and told him that he has him covered and has his back. That he's come to this place that he's calling double camp because it's the camp of the angels of God. He's literally moving out in his life. He's stepping out in faith in pursuit of that which is of the kingdom. But as he's going, he literally meets a double camp of angels to, to, to really reinforce the fact that God is with him. But just hearing that he's about to meet his brother Esau, he becomes so terrified that he, he literally splices himself into two different companies. He literally splits his family, the identity of his person, really, his personhood and all that he is, he, he, he splits it in half, but it's like, he's going to attack, he's going to attack me and I won't survive, but part of me will survive one way or another. So here he's, he's come to the double camp, but he's actually become double. And man, I'll tell you what, this is a prophetic picture for us, man. Um, I will see his face and perhaps he will accept me. A lot of times, identity crisis in this life and in this walk comes from this very thing. People who do not realize how covered and accepted they are by God, you know what I mean? And understand the true identity of what it means to be a son is to actually step into the inheritance of the Lord, right? And so here, here he is becoming somebody he totally isn't. I'm going to put two faces forward. Maybe one of the faces will be accepted. And if the, and if the other one's not, at least I'll still have this side that I don't completely lose. I'm going to lose. But let's play a game to where I don't lose everything. So here's somebody with a promise of God who's met the Lord on, on numerous occasions, but he doesn't have the faith to realize that, yo, there's a camp of angels there on your journey that God sent you on. It's because the Lord has you. And he's moving you into some intimidating things in your life, but it's not because he's going to send you out to get smacked. 
It's because the ble- his blessing is upon you and he loves you and he's covering you. You know, and so, man, I'll tell you what, a lot of times, especially like this time of year, right? A lot of times we as people as Christians, and I've seen this over years and years and years, right? People that have once been somebody else, right? Like, like what it says in Colossians 2, where like everything you once were in Adam has been, has been removed and placed on the cross permanently. You're not your old self. You're a new creation, you know, in the adherence of your father. But, but you see this sometimes, it's like when, when people go back around, sometimes you visit back to your hometown, sometimes you visit back to your, your old friends, sometimes it's your old family, you know what I'm saying? People have trouble going back around people that used to associate them in one certain way when they are their new person. And there can be a skittishness to come back around and be your true self when everything that's projected around you is like, oh, I know who you are. You're Jacob. You're the sketchy one. You do sketchy things. You know what I mean? And here's, here's somebody that God is actually changing his identity. It's like, hey, you're, you're becoming Israel's, which is about what we're about to see, the wrestling of God. And, but fear is causing him to splice himself and not be truly who he is, be in the present and actually move forward in the things God has for him. So he sends all of his people over in droves, one, two, and three, to offer, little by little, to offer gifts and presents and all these different things to people, right, uh, to Esau in order to be accepted. And he sends them all over before himself. He's got his wives separate, his kids separate. He's doing all these crazy things. And it says when he was left alone after he sent everybody over, he was going to spend the night where he was. It says he was left alone in in Genesis 32, 24, and a man wrestled him until the breaking of the day. A man, a human. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? To which Jacob replied, my name is Jacob. But then he says something, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you've struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. Jacob asked the man, tell me what is your name? And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life was preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the, the socket of Jacob's hip, the muscle that he shrank. So, you know, Jacob literally means you struggle with God, but it also means prince with God. So here's Jacob, who's, who's splicing himself out of fear, you know what I mean, to meet his brother, to really pursue the things God's called him to do. It's like, yo, you have every right to follow the Lord in your life. But he's going back through situations in his life, and, and, and in this situation, it was like past relationships, you know what I mean? And by doing that, he was so afraid to be who he truly was. But God was actually making a lesson out of him, you know? It's like he wasn't showing up to condemn him, like, you're supposed to be the blessing of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and now you're just a little coward, and I'm going to pick somebody else, because you're soft, you know, you're double-minded, you know what I mean? Instead, he actually meets him physically. 
We know who the embodiment of Yahweh is. Yeah, that's Jesus, man. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is Jesus right here. This is Jesus showing up. He's God, he's Yahweh, and he's the embodiment of Yahweh. And wrestling this dude in the dark. So there's this prophetic picture of Jacob wrestling around with God, even though he couldn't really see him. He just knew, he, he valued what he valued on this pursuit. And even though he was going through it with fear and trembling, and sometimes going back into his sketchy ways, you know, God was not letting, hold, like letting go of him, Amen. you know? And, he's, and then Jacob's like, well, I'm not letting you go until you bless me, which is like, that's such a strange thing to say in a, 20, in a nighttime wrestling match, you know? But I think you see the prophetic picture of what's actually going on here. God meets him, and he's struggling with him. And it's like, hey, your name's not trickster and deceiver. Your name is Israel. He's, he's like, this is the new name. It's like, how does Jesus show up to people like Peter? You know what I mean? And say, you know, hey, my name's Simon. Like, no, you're, you're Peter. Man. How does he show up to that guy, Nathaniel, that we just talked about in John, in the book of John 1, and literally say, somebody that was talking trash about him, <coughs> literally a few minutes earlier, can anything come, good come out of Nazareth? How can he literally show up to Nathaniel and say, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. You have great integrity. You know what I mean? And it unlocks something in Nathaniel instantaneously that says, you're the Messiah. Amen. Because, you know, if, if any of us are the other disciples, and he's like, behold, an Israelite with, within whom there is no deceit, um, we're all like, hey, you missed that one. He's a jerk. He was talking bad about you from being, you know, from where you're from just a few minutes ago. He's an idiot. You know, but God's doing the same thing with Jacob as he was doing with Nathaniel that he does with all of us. It's like, hey, you don't actually know who you are. Amen. I know who you are. Amen. You're not Jacob. I love that, ver that what they wrote. You're not, what does it say? You are not what you have done. Yes. Yes. It's like Jacob, trickster, deceiver, supplanter. You grab your brother's ankle. You sold, you, 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 you sold him for a sketchy deal when he was really hungry with the, with the red bean stew. You know what I mean? You, you dressed up and tricked your blind dad for the inheritance. Like you are... You are nothing but a, you fit your name. And God says, hey, that's actually not your name. I knew you before the foundations of the earth, and you are Israel. Your lineage, it doesn't matter your birth order, your lineage is of a son and is of a prince with God. Yeah, it's like, I'm not looking at your character flaws and all these things. Is it an excuse for us as Christians to have bad character and stuff like that? No. You know what I mean? We have the indwelling of God now to lead us into all truth. The fruit of His Spirit, which is integrity, love, joy, peace, patience, the kindness, the goodness of God is to be our essence. But when we manifest something that's different than that, does that mean that, that those things are, are who we are? No. The identity was the issue, right? And He's taken Him, He's let, wrestling around with this guy with the blessing. I'm not going to go, let you go till I bless you, which shows His heart he was sketchy, but he was in it for the blessing of God the entire time because he valued the things of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Hebrews 12, do not be like a profane person like Esau, who for, for a morsel of food sold his birthright. It's like, hey, it's like, you mean be like sketchy Jacob? Like, well, yeah, you see him as Jacob, but I see him as Israel's prince. It's not about that. It's about having a heart that values the eternal realm, the eternal reality of the kingdom, that doesn't trust in itself because of its behavior. It trusts in everything that I've done and accomplished on your behalf to qualify you. 
And in doing this, he literally steps into the reality of who he is. He literally, in the next chapter, he goes up and there's Esau showing up, the showdown. And Esau says something which I think is like, he's like, what do you mean by sending me all these things? Like basically, like, why are you sending me all these camels and <laughs> don't, don't, you know, what is all this stuff? Like, what's the deal, man? And he falls on his neck and he kisses him. He hugs him and he puts his face in that. Oh, it's his brother. You know what I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't have that grudge that he once had. So all the fear was for nothing. You catch it? It's just like all the fear and all the insecurity and even the, the contrast of his identity, which he was going into something else. It's like you didn't need to put on the costume. See, Jacob put on a costume to get what he wanted. That hairy, that hairy Esau outfit to trick his blind dad, you know what I mean? But here he was, again, splitting all of his company, putting on a, a costume, going into an identity or an attitude or a, or a behavior that was not even consistent with his true nature in order to be safe and to get his needs met. And that's the trap. That is the trap. To be somebody other than who we are, man. Everybody in the world is projecting who they believe that will accept that people will accept them as. You know what I mean? That's almost the root. That's the root of so many things. Even in a society like ours where image is like super, super important. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't. I live here though. You know, it's that way. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just everything. You know what I mean? But image isn't everything. The imagers are, the, are created in the image of God to manifest His fruit and His light. And the peace and kindness and goodness, the fruit of His Spirit and the power of His Spirit is what disarms. It disarms those, those masks and those Halloween costumes people wear to protect people from seeing who they truly are. You know what I mean? But we have the ability, just like Jesus in this situation, renaming him, we have the ability to see people, which that's the prophetic power, is actually to see people as they truly are, speak to that, and let that come to life. Amen. I love that we have two pregnant gals up here, the big old belly singing, you know what I mean? It's like, it's so funny, but it's like, when you see them, you see life that is coming. Yeah. You don't even see them. You're like, hey, that... that. Especially this one over here. That thing's coming, dude, in a day or so. <laughs> you know, we got a few days maybe. You know, it's like, whoa. That, but but you, you see past the person. You can't see inside their stomach, but you see like there's something beautiful. There's life there, and it's coming. It's coming. And I'm going to play with him. You know what I mean? It's coming. You know? And this is how God sees, you know? And all the fear and all this, all this other stuff that Jacob's, his personality disorders, all these things that he's, he's, he's leaning in to, to get his needs met, he's actually not leaning into the reality of Hebrews 12. You've come to Mount Zion, to an innumerable company of angels. Because like, wouldn't you want to tap Jacob on the shoulder and like, hey, buddy, you think that God told you to leave your uncles and he's blessed you like you're extremely wealthy with the goods and stuff you have and he's sending you back home to honor your father before he passes away and like, then he's sending you onto this promised land that he's promised you to be at. And you think that like the first step when you leave and you go to a camp and it's surrounded by angels, that might be a cue that you shouldn't be afraid. You know what I mean? There's an army of angelic hosts that you actually see. And like, this is like a scene from Lord of the Rings, but it doesn't expound on it. You know what I mean? To a double camp of angels. You think he might take that as a, as a like God throwing you a bone saying, hey buddy, just so you know, I have you, go, I have you covered. I know you're nervous to go around your brother, but don't forget my promise to you. You know? You think that's actually new, new 
Testament Christianity, that's called to be our reality. You think somebody like Jesus literally saying that, God in the flesh literally saying that, you're gonna, you think you've seen that, you're going to see the angels ascending and ascending like, like the messengers, the people of God are called to be those who go in and out of the heavenly realm and bring it to the earth. Yeah. It's like, you're not who you once were. I'm the one who knows you. He renames everybody half the time because he knew them first. Oh, you're not Simon. You know what I mean? Hey, Saul, you're, you're Paul. Or, you know, just <coughs> Abraham, their grandfather was Abram on the first round. So it's just like he's doing these things. But there's this, there's this scripture in Romans 8, 14. Maybe I'll close with that. 8, 14 to 16. It says, those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And that sons, it's, it's, it's literally means mature sons of God, that huios. It's like those who are led of the Spirit of God. To walk in Christian maturity is to be led of God. And it's brilliant because you see Jacob, he doesn't seem very mature, but he was just getting to know God and he hadn't seen God the way we have. You know, the embodiment of Yahweh, the fullness of deity embodied. Colossians 2 says about Jesus, like, you know, the goodness of God, who he truly is, the love of God poured out for us. Um, you know, and, and it's like, but, but you also see he followed the Lord, and no matter how sketchy his character was, no matter how scared and, 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 and carnal that he was at times, the Lord was allowing those things, those aspects of his character to come into alignment with his true self and renaming him. And there's something to that scripture, man. Those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Like, that's us. You know, the Lord is our shepherd. Like, there's something to being led of God leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit also, but it's, it's also, it leads us into that true maturity of the light of the sons who are actually qualified for inheritance. You know, the mature sons. That's what that word actually means. It goes on, it says, For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage to fear and religious duty, but the spirit of total acceptance, of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit bears witness within us so that we embrace the inheritance of a son. He bears witness of this spirit, of this reality within us. That's what Romans 8.16 says. Like the, the groanings and the prayer of the Holy Spirit within us and within our heart and within our life actually bears witness to us, Amen. to ourselves, that we are in this alignment with Him. Hmm. The Spirit bears witness within us so that we embrace the inheritance of the sons, which is the true blessing of Abraham. That through him, the seed of Abraham, Jesus, inside of us, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Does that mean our family? Yeah, but like we're the conduits of this. Our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth, and your will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. We're not praying from the sidelines watching again that this thing would happen in the world. We're praying this is a prayer of alignment, of walking with him that actually manifests this truth in the real world. And the trap so often is actually to be afraid because what fear leads to in this life, one, it's rooted in we don't know how loved, valued we are by God and that he has us covered. But then it leads us to doing things in our own flesh, in our own strength, and it leads us to distorting our own identities, you know what I mean, to get our needs met or to be taken care of because we're afraid, you know what I mean, which then often can lead into sketchy behaviors or whatever else, you know. But the reality is th those who are truly confident in this life are confident not because of all the things that they have or how many friends they got, because of the love and covering that God has for them. 
And this is our reality. There's, so, there's something to that Romans 8.16. If the Holy Spirit prays within, within you and actually bears witness with your spirit. In other words, it's like you become even more convinced of your sonship boy or girl, in, in God. That is, the, that is the role of the Holy Spirit within us. Yeah. And like that is something that is such a practical truth, but it's something that is so valuable to make space for that reality. You know what I mean? There's so many times, whether it's relational or it's like we're expecting the negative things of the world are going to come to happen to us, whether it's from trauma or our own experiences or our own relational stuff in the past or whatever, where God's actually called us to walk in such a place of confidence and trusting in Him that we're not walking around carrying pressure. You know what I mean? We're actually walking in a way that we're effective in the world. You know, because our eyes aren't on ourselves. If you knew that many of the desires of your heart were actually God's purpose for your life, you know, if the things that you desired, the things that, I mean, practical things of like a provision, uh, fulfilling relationships, uh, functional positions within the church body, within your, within your job, stuff like that, you know, destiny, purpose, all these different things that Jacob obviously had lined out for his life, but we all do in this life. If you knew that those were actually all his perfect will for us and that he's the one that has those things covered, when our hearts are to seek Him first, would that cause us to be more at rest and more present in the here and now and actually seek to be a blessing to those who are around us? I think so. I think when we're at rest and we come to the reality like the blessings of God, it's like, oh, this isn't about a prosperity gospel. This is about a God who's, who's called us to to carry His nature and His being within us, His Spirit within us, in a way that all the families of the earth are blessed. So we're actually supposed to walk in a level of light in our relationships, in our family, you know what I mean? In our jobs, in, in the things that are of heaven, which is like righteousness, peace, and joy, the very essence of the kingdom. We're supposed to be actually happy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not stressed and under pressure, you know? Not striving to fit in in some group or whatever that looks like. You know what I mean? It's like we're, we can be so content if we trust that God is a good father and he has those things covered in his, in his side of the tracks. That we can, we can be free to rest in that reality and bear fruit in the here and now and the things that he has for us. And I think that's one of the most important aspects of the, of the, of the life of Jacob that I wanted to, um, to really hit. Let me see. My last, the point that I had hit, I, we've come to Mount Zion. God is with us and for us and all around us. We simply come into agreement with that reality. Fear, anxiety, insecurity, these things can cause us to lose sight of this fact. But when we take time to realign and come to realize that we're actually surrounded, not by the enemy, but by heaven, yeah. it frees us to be about his mission and his purposes in the world which is to release them everywhere we go. Amen. Yeah. Luke 12, 31 says, Seek first the kingdom above all else in His righteousness, and all those things that we need will be added to us in this life. You know? And Jesus tags something on that when He says, And have no fear, little flock, because it's your dad's good pleasure to give it to you. It's like, yo, this is about inheritance. 
and it's his good pleasure. He's not waiting and deciding if you're worthy or this or that. It's like all he needs for us to do is just align with it and value with it, and it'll be poured out through our lives. You know, and that's the reality of this thing. And I think that's one of, if not the main theme of old Jacob's life lesson. Maybe we should call him Israel now because that's what God calls him, huh? Yeah. Well, Lord, we thank you for the reality of your truth. And we thank you that these things were written for us and that we could see through Abraham's lineage, Isaac, Jacob, what it looks like practically to walk with you, having our identity come into alignment with, what, with who you say we are, not with the way that fear has taught us to get our needs met. Lord, I thank you for your understanding, which brings deliverance, which actually brings us to a place of alignment. So we're no longer actually trying to construct our identity, but we're coming to know you, love, and actually be conformed to your image because we're creating your image. Lord, I ask that we would have this mindset to be at rest, even in this week, that we would actually have our eyes off ourselves and onto those whom we can actually be a blessing to, those who we can actually touch with heaven, with, with simply no agenda other than, other than actually walking in that reality of being a blessing to all the families of the earth. Amen.